there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. The day before we started our technical rehearsals at the Annoyance Theater on Clark across the street from Metro Chicago, our stage manager, Chris Palmer, and I went over to put some props and costumes in place for the cast. We had an antique bicycle, a spinning barber's chair, two foam fat suits made by a woman at Steppenwolf, a working antique Victrola, a mechanical hat filled with wires and tubes along with a suitcase with more tubes and more wires. It was a lot especially for an off-loop DIY theater company with no money. We walked downstairs to what can only be described as, quote, homeless shelter populated with meth addicts decor. Half-eaten burritos, open bags of chips and beer cans, some empty, others half-empty, random piles of dog shit, a locker with a pail of what turned out to be urine. It's fucking filthy. I can contracted the annoyance for 10 weeks, Sunday and Monday nights for $200 a week. Sure, there was no contract, but I guess I hadn't expected what we walked into. Let's go to Home Depot, I said. Why, Chris asked. We need cleaning supplies. Chris and I scoured that basement, threw out four 30-gallon hefty bags of trash, swept and mopped. When Mick Napier, the founder and artistic director of the venue, came in, he asked what the fuck we were doing. I explained we were cleaning up for our cast, which was coming the next day. He grimaced and left. Apparently, he talked to Mark Sutton, the general manager, and Mark gave us two weeks rent-free for the effort. Metal Lunin, The Amazing Science of the Mind Review is a play written through a prism of Dadaism and the comedy of the Marx Brothers. It opens with a dialogue between Dr. Carlton Twist and Sigmund Freud. Twist wants to experiment on the mind and the power of industrial machinery on emotional control as well as discuss his counter-theory to Freud's penis envy called vaginal terror. Twist goes to Europe to find a vaudeville troupe to perform in Metaluna, Indiana, so he can use the audience members as patients. He finds only a troupe of Dadaists and brings them anyway. And there's a fascist mayor, his suffragette daughter, and a feminine local poet, brain experimentation, vaudeville acts as seen through the eyes of Dada, and a bicycle. It seems to make sense, but maddening, maddeningly does not. The piece was so weird that Pat Carton, originally cast as one of the Dadaists, dropped out of the show because it made no sense to him and seemed to be headed for disaster. Jay Suko stepped into Pat's role and things were looking up. We were set to perform the show at the Annoyance Theater um, on Sunday and Monday nights at 8 o'clock. Now, Bob the director, if you recall from the last episode. His real strength was in the visuals associated with the production. He relied heavily on Circus Shalevsky to work with actors on performances, although, as I recall, the only line notes I ever got came from Joe. 
Bob commissioned Kevin Colby to paint a series of sideshow banners and a giant drop with a brain on it. Lori's friend, a costume designer from Steppenwolf, made a giant foam ass for Lori and an upper torso fat suit for me. I grew up my mutton chops and looked a bit like a deranged biker both at school where I was still teaching and at comedy sports. Weeks before we walked in on dog shit and burritos, the courtroom was not the kind you see on Law & Order. It was more like the DMV, plastic chairs and tight rows, people of all stripes sitting uncomfortably waiting to be called, a broken coffee maker with styrofoam cups nearby. The judge looked me in the eye. I could find you $10,000 for these, and she pointed to the foam core display. Well, we were not a well-financed company and had no money for all any of the marketing that we'd done, so for previous show, Shows we'd taken to illegal fly posting, taking handbills and posters and taping them up on poles and on walls to spread the word. The problem was that these taped handbills were almost immediately ripped down by graffiti busters and business owners. For Metaluna, however, I had a plan. Glue. Like wheat paste, still too transient, glue paste was a half a bucket of Elmer's glue mixed with a half a bucket of hot water. When a regular piece of paper is painted onto a service with this concoction, it stays up for a long time. You can barely scrape it off with a tool. It was brilliant, but it was illegal and kind of shitty. Four or five of us would meet at my place at 2 a.m. I printed up hundreds of posters that had nothing but a graphic of Sigmund Freud in a dress with the word Metaluna underneath. A teaser poster. No more information than that. I had my glue paste ready. I wore my canvas duster coat and a black ball cap. And the idea was simple. We'd hit a neighborhood at 3 a.m., the hour when most people were off the road and the cops were cruising all night diners in the south side, glue up as many posters as we could until we ran out or the cops chased us away, and then sing the Mission Impossible theme all night long. <laughs> we did this for a straight week. In some circles, people were actually talking about the posters, trying to figure out what the hell Metaluna was. Was it a band? Was it philosophy? Who knew? In my opinion, it was incredible marketing. We put up thousands of these things at one point. At one point, Lucia Moreau, a critic for the Sun-Times, actually called me to see if I knew what Metaluna was because it was driving her nuts. And of course, I told her I didn't. Two weeks before we opened the show, we started putting up the full poster with the same graphic, but specifics as to where and when people could see this Metaluna thing. And of course, we got caught. In hindsight, it reminds me of when I was nine years old and decided to vandalize a particularly nasty neighbor's house by spray painting graffiti on her wall. She caught me because I signed my name to it. Well, Joe Bill was sitting next to me in the courtroom as a representative of the annoyance. If we had $10,000, I guess we could have just bought advertising, but we don't, not even close. Can you afford $20 as a one-time fine with the promise you won't do this again? The judge sighed. We can and will, so I paid the $20. I lied. We definitely continued to glue paste other shows, but not for Metaluna. That didn't mean we weren't continuing to be creative with our marketing. Uh, one aspect of this was a series of publicity stunts that we'd do for Metaluna. One such stunt had me dressed in a black and white full body clown outfit with white face and harsh black highlights. I had a rope around my armpits with Lori and Alita holding both ends. I had a lit cigarette in my mouth and two handfuls of flyers. They would drag me downtown on the sidewalk 
and streets, and I would just yell out, Meta Luna, on the amazing science of the mind review, over and over. People would see it, they would laugh or weird it out or whatever, but they would take flyers out of my hands. Palmer, who was huge and was a former bouncer at the improv, worked crowd control and actually picked me up off the street at one point so I wouldn't be run over by a bus in front of Water Tower Place. We also almost had the cops called on us because they dragged me into Lord and Taylor because they thought I would get up and I wouldn't. And that got us into a little bit of trouble. Rehearsals went smoothly. The creativity was extremely high, in part because most of us had just come back from Scotland, which was like a blood transfusion of amazing theatrical techniques we're all dying to steal, and in part because the data nature of the piece meant that no holds were barred. The audience configuration was that of a giant vagina, and in the center, as the audience came in, I, complete with black suit and a silver mask, so I couldn't tell it was me, would create a huge ARP-inspired collage, which is just a random collage where you take pieces of newspaper, and in our case, headshots from our auditions, and drop them, cut them up, drop them someplace on the canvas, and then paint them there, and then like glue them there, and that was how the ARP is. And once I'd get started, I silently got the audience to join in. Bob staged the thing in the round. The annoyance had three stages and we used some open space as well as giving as well just to give us five areas of play both surrounding and inside the audience. At one point, Circus rode the bike through the audience doing a sound poem. Joe came out as a German Dadaist doing vaudeville in blackface that was more common on the horrors of American Cuba at the time than a shock tactic, and it always seemed to play well, ending with a tone poem slash fugue of monologues and poetry taken from Dickens' Great Expectations, political speeches from the 20s, and nonsense, Metal Luna, The Amazing Science of the Mind Review was magnificent and insane. Now, for most actors, speaking the name Macbeth in a theater is forbidden. This myth has been around for about 450 years, and some attribute it to the original Lady Macbeth dying in rehearsals, forcing Shakespeare to don the role. Don't know if that's true, but we at WNEP did not fear saying Macbeth in the theater. We feared speaking the word Metaluna. Okay. Two weeks before the show went up, Suko got into a car accident and damaged his back severely. So Pat Carton, who was already regretting his decision to drop out, readily jumped back into the role. Katie's mother died a week later, and Juliet Curry, her understudy, took the role for the first few weeks. Palmer accidentally used a pneumatic hammer and nailed his left hand when constructing a flat. I almost choked to death the first time he used Alka-Seltzer to create a foaming at the mouth effect. By the way, one is fine, three is too many. It was kind of like the show was cursed, but we opened and the response was amazing. Audiences loved it, and here's uh, the review from the Chicago Reader by Carol Church, or no, who is it? Oh. But we opened and the response was amazing. Audiences were loving it, we were packing them out, and the reviews were good. From the Chicago Reader, quote, what does it mean when Freud sucks his cigar until you think it will come? When a man agrees to a cure for his chronic temper that requires him to wear a styrofoam boater fitted with wires and goo drilled into his brain. When vaudeville becomes a dance of death. Such apocalyptic foolishness would seem to express an agenda far beyond smart-ass iconoclism. But no, 
Not in the WDP Theater Foundation's new show, or at least not in its best moments. As conceived by playwright Joe Jaynes, Metaluna and the Amazing Science of the Mind Review is a contemporary version of Dada, an early 20th century movement rooted in avant-garde disgust at bourgeois values and despair over World War I. In this uneven homage to the artists, performers, and writers who attempted to demolish the ideology and practice of accepted aesthetics, WDP simultaneously tells and anti-tells its story. Playing on five stages that surround the audience, the performers, in effect, present a meditation on the history of theater and human perception. The conceptual framework of this collaborative piece is simple, even though the effect is quite complicated. The two-hour show is supposed is a supposed performance by an actual Dada troupe reenacting its tour in the backwater of Metaluna, Indiana. They, there, they become part of an experiment run by Sigmund Freud and his brain surgeon friend Dr. Carlton Quist and shock the rubes of the town with their nonsensical Dadaist anti-aesthetic. This framework provides a forum for Jane's ideas about Dadaism as well as for the characters and issues WDP members want to explore. The resulting hodgepodge of theatrical styles and random plot twists makes for a wacky evening interrupted both by occasional brilliance by a few stultifying stereotype performances, but despite its fault, faults, Metaluna achieves a disciplined and playful intellectual fullness unusual on Chicago's fringe. The sloppy improv aesthetic that dominates our performance scene reveals its weaknesses when it's contrasted with the Dadaist tradition of carefully constructing insults to habitual ways of seeing and being. This review reminds us that Dada is still useful because of the clarity it requires to attack convention and common sense and create a compelling meta-reality. Unquote. Metaluna was a pretty significant hit for us. Artistically, it started to separate the company from the countless sketch and improv groups cropping up, gave Wilson a huge win, and solicited Joe... Uh, solicited? God damn my fucking spell check. Metaluna was a pretty significant hit for us. Artistically, it started to separate the company from the countless sketch and improv groups cropping up. It gave Bob Wilson a huge win and solidified Joe as an inspired playwright to be reckoned with. It went on to be produced in L.A. with Kate Hendrickson directing it to equal praise and success. We remounted it in 2012 at Red Orchid Theater to great success with a completely different cast, including the ubiquitous Dave Desmalchin, fresh off of his The Dark Knight turn. For many who came to know WNP, Metaluna was the first and most memorable experience of the group, even a decade later. It is also notable that then-comedy sports newbie and recent DePaul Theater School graduate Jen Ellison, who was dating Phil Ehrensberg at the time, came to see the show and decided that night that A, she wanted to be involved with WNP, and that B, she would eventually be our artistic director. It was also the last time the ensemble actually felt like an ensemble as the next show beat any goodwill from Metaluna into the ground. I wish you had the chance to see this specific production of this specific play. To this day, Metaluna remains in the top five productions, in my opinion, that WNP ever did. It was brilliant, it was messy, it was a blast. So next week, another tattoo, and in two weeks, the company decides to make their first full-blown musical from a 21-minute act play inspired by a porn novel from the 1960s. Thanks for checking in. Hey, hey, hey.
Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiar journeys. 